Hi, and welcome to Tin City Limits, the show that shares the unique inside story of the artisans who make up the Paso Robles neighborhood known as Tin City. This week, part two of our conversation with Patrick Brooks from Wineshine. This local distillery located in Tin City is crafting a variety of small batch spirits that use some of the California Central Coast's finest ingredients. The world is starting to take notice. There are lots of bars and restaurants that have really stepped up their cocktail game in the last several years, driven in part by a growing interest in creating unique flavor profiles for customers who are looking for more than just a good buzz. They want an experience. Craft cocktails aren't a new phenomenon. In the early 1800s, pubs served drinks made from one kind of spirit, whiskey, with the addition of sugar and bitters. During Prohibition, speakeasies began using liquors like gin. Barkeeps would cover up the taste of the poor quality spirits with flavorings like juices and water. After World War II, cocktails morphed into a kind of sugar bomb with the introduction of high fructose corn syrup and concentrated fruit juices. Today, people are discovering a new world of flavors thanks to distillers like Wineshine. They're like mad scientists, really, constantly evolving, innovating. In part two, we learned that the birth of Wineshine had its roots with George Washington. Yes, that George Washington. Patrick Brooks explains. For me, it was visiting George Washington's distillery and Grist Mill uh, in Virginia on Mount Vernon. That's when I got jazzed about it. Okay. So if uh, uh, I love history, right? And if George Washington can be the largest distiller in America, why, why can't Wineshine? So why not? Uh, <laughs> well, we don't want to be the largest. That we just want to be, make quality, right? Quality over quantity. So he made uh, a significant amount of whiskey, uh, corn whiskey, uh, on Mount Vernon. And so uh, when I was visiting his house and his grist mill and distillery, and, and saw the entire process where, uh, where the, he's utilizing the, the hydraulic power from the the creek that flows by his grist mill to turn these massive wheels and grind all that corn. Uh, so he so he could make make beer prior to a fermentation or right, prior to right. to distillation. Uh, you know th- that was that was awesome for me. I was so excited about it. And then back here in good old Paso Robles, of course, our uh, our dear friend Don. He's the uh, assistant winemaker at Saxon Winery, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. his uncle used to have a little vineyard right next to Saxon, and Don would make his his wine there and. Some friends would go out and help him bottle some of the wine, small lots. And there was this guy, my business partner, Mark, who had been dabbling with distillation for, for some time. And he had been, uh, uh, he, he grew up in, the, in Pennsylvania making the fruit wines when he was like eight or something. <laughs> so <it> was <laughs> well, that's what they do back there, ain't they? That's exactly right. So <laughs> it was like blackberry wine. You're eight years old now. You get in them woods and make some liquor. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what he was. He always heard. I right. think. So, yeah. so you're getting you know, old. Mark had been experimenting, right? And uh, and we discussed uh, this whole process, and, yeah. and and it just makes sense to after you make wine. Distill it into brandy. Sure. Why not? Why so, not? Why not? So why not? So, and, and not a lot of other people in that space. No. I mean, if you if you compare the two, a lot of people make a wine. Not a lot of people go on that next step, right? No, there are, there are very few distillers 
in America. I, I, the number keeps rising significantly all the time nowadays. Like, but uh, 40, 50 years ago, there were four distilleries in yeah, America, right, right. I believe. So, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, four, right? I mean, that's nothing. So still to this day, you have a handful of distilleries that produce the, the bulk of all the, the products on the market. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize when they go buy their favorite whiskey off a shelf that it's, there's a great chance that it's just produced at a huge distillery in either uh, uh, like Illinois or, or, or Canada. Even Canada produces a bunch of spirits. And uh, it's, it's the same thing that, that this other bottle over here is. Just maybe finishing some different casks. Right. Or uh, some, some very uh, minute detail that's Slight been altered. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and the packaging, of course, is probably the, the most significant detail there. Sure. So, uh, but there's, you know, there's been spirits produced all over America for a long time. Like I mentioned in Canada, too. Um, you know, when we had the, the American Civil War, uh, the North burned all the whiskey houses in the South. There was one place to supply the North and the South with whiskey, and that was Canada. So they, they, were, they were dealing to both sides, right? And Those so, Canadians. <laughs> and, to the, and it really boomed the Canadian whiskey business, right? So even to this day, it's massive. But uh, to go back to the point, like, yeah, 40 years ago, you know, you have a handful of distilleries in the whole country. And uh, only in the last uh, really 20-ish years and really last decade have you seen this boom of, more, of many more distilleries. It's one thing to think about building a distillery. It's quite another thing to pull that trigger. There must have been months and months of research going over data, rules, and regulations. Well, maybe, just maybe it was a bit simpler. Our my friend Don goes, hey, we should start a distillery. And, and a I, band. Yeah, and I go, oh, well, I don't really know what that entails. <laughs> but hell yeah, let's do that. I won't go to grad school right now. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it was uh, it, we all just kind of dropped everything else and started a distillery right mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a great idea at the time. The question now for Patrick and his partners in Wineshine is, what are we going to distill? According to Patrick, you distill what's locally available. And there was a lot of amazingly good stuff to work with. So really what it comes down to is you're going to distill whatever's locally abundant. Okay. Right? That, that's, that's been uh, the case throughout history. And so when you live in Paso Robles and you have access to some of the most world-class uh, you know, Grenache and Syrah and Morved and, you know, around, why not distill that into brandy? So it, but it makes sense if I'm in Kentucky why I'm using corn. Like I said... You distill what's locally abundant. It's grapes here. It's grapes in France too, right? But what we're dealing with here is uh, this this process of, of saignée. So it's the oldest method of rosé production on earth, right? When uh, great winemakers want to uh, uh, have a, a heavier mouthfeel, richer, more velvety kind of uh, texture in their wine and, uh, and more extraction, they'll bleed off like 10 to 30% of the juice. So you have more skins in contact with less juice. And it, 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 it adds so many wonderful components to their wine what's bled off is rosé by all definitions Mm -hmm. and so uh we happen to be in kind of a unique position because one of our business partners as i mentioned he's uh one of the winemakers at saxon and saxon doesn't make any rosé whatsoever so uh 100 percent of that juice was available for us these guys were dumping it down the drain you know, they're, you water the, the vineyards with it, whatever. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so yeah. It, it wasn't going into any rosé program. 
And then we get a lot of juice from guys like uh, like Denner or, or Terry Hogue, and they do make some rosé, but they don't need... It's a lot of rosé. It's a lot of rosé, yeah. right? Yeah. What are you going to do with that much rosé, right? So, yeah. Yeah, so instead, uh, we'll take what's what's left over. So it's it's not like we're making grappa. We're using all like the, mm-hmm. the waste product, all the mm-hmm. stems and skins and seeds, right. the tannin-rich, harsh components of the grape. Right. And I think it's the best use of a waste product, grappa. Uh, but we don't do that here. This is just that, that, that fresh pressed juice that's coming off. And uh, I think that's what's really unique about it is the fact that we're distilling these varietals like Cabernet Franc, like, 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 like Syrah, like Grenache. Nobody really does this anywhere else in the world because if you're in parts of France, you're, you're grow- you want these aromatic uh, white wines, but also it's because of the cost that goes into it. Mm-hmm. It's so much cheaper to make brandy out because you have to distill this this from this big volume to this little itty bitty volume right it's so much more cost effective to use a cost effective varietal nobody in their right mind would distill west side passerobles grenache unless it, it ended up working out we're, we're we're distilling this uh this extra product that's just extra for these guys right so so we bring this grenache in we distill the alcohol out of it. That's our brandy. And then what's left over is pretty much water, some pigments, and it, it's uh, full of nutrients, right? It's great stuff to go water the, <laughs> the, 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 right. the, the grounds with. So we collectivize all that, and then uh, all that, that extra water is brought back to those wineries. So nothing's getting wasted you know, besides you. Right when you're when you're here, uh, but uh, <laughs> or when you take a bottle home oh, with you, oh yeah. yeah so, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that's the most unique thing about this is if uh, we didn't have these specific connections and we uh, were paying what we should be paying for the quality of fruit that we're getting, you know, we wouldn't even be in business. This would be hundreds of dollars a bottle. I've been out here in California via Michigan for twenty years. I'm just now getting on the outside of the wine thing, you know, sure. learning, tasting, and, and, you know, that, that never stops. Research and development. Research and development, exactly. But I'm just now getting enough information to, to be able to talk to somebody else about wine. What am I looking for in a brandy, for example, or a whiskey? Well, I think a lot of, especially with brandy, a lot of this goes back to what you're looking for in, in wine production, too, because, uh, you know, the... The climate that particular year, all, all of those uh, little details that play into the vineyard itself are going to play into the distillation of, of fruit products. So I'm going to be able to taste the difference? To a degree, absolutely. Seriously? Okay, I yeah, didn't it's, know that. It, it's really, it's a, and it, you know, you don't, you don't think about it unless you have it all lined up in front of you. You can, you can really say, okay, this was from this year, 2014, yeah, yeah, 15. But yeah. there are absolutely minute details there that, that change the whole profile of it based on the environment that around the, the grapes, for instance, that year. So um, it's very varietal specific as well. Our favorite thing to distill at Wineshine is Grenache. It's super fruity and pretty mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sexy, you mm-hmm. know, but like, but we've distilled all sorts of other things. Cab Franc, delicious, you know, Syrah, Morved has a darker character. We use a lot of that in uh, like our, uh, of our French oak uh, cinnamon brandy. Okay, yeah. So it's like the varietals well, have a lot of uh, uh, have a lot of character, but so does the year. Now, when it comes to whiskey production, for instance, like a brewery has a uh, 
I mean, they, they have to be on their game as well, but a brewery has an easier time of maintaining the consistency of a product year in and year out. Okay. Because uh, that they're, most, just, most breweries aren't malting their, their grain, which is a whole other process. You have to convert all the starch into sugar prior to a fermentation. So uh, these breweries end up buying grains from big malting houses, right. which is not a knock of any brewery whatsoever. Sure. It's, it's, a, it's a huge undertaking that I don't blame them for not going through, right? Uh, they would go, would go out of business if they had to tack that onto it. Right. So uh, there's a lot more consistency in that product, though, in that grain that okay. they're, that they're uh, fermenting into beer and then to distill as well. There's a lot more consistency there. Okay. With fruit, you get a, a whole other range of, of variables, I think. So, and it really comes down to, like I said, distilling whatever's locally abundant. So, you know, if in America and Scotland and Ireland, we all drink whiskey. You know, the, the, we've been drinking whiskey for a long time. Damn straight we do. <laughs> I mean, hey, my name's Patrick. I dig some of that jazz, right? <laughs> but the rest of the world makes brandy for the most part. There's more, uh, I, I don't know the, the real number on this, but I would, I would venture to say that there's more brandy produced on earth than whiskey yeah. and uh a lot of that comes down to the little small mom and pop shops you know this this some guy in the south of france with his little vineyard <laughs> making a little bit of brandy right? sure yeah and uh and it makes sense to like just, a garagiste absolutely it makes th- that small uh that small production quality over quantity sure and it makes sense to distill things because you're taking a huge volume and distilling it into a, a very little volume. Yeah. And so, uh, like, if, yeah, if you're in the Cognac region of France, right, we're, we're distilling Uniblanc, the, uh, the aromatic, pretty white wine. You know, in Armagnac, we distill too, right? Uh, we make an apple brandy here, which is like our version of what they make in, in northern Normandy in France, right? It's colder and rainy, and they, they, don't, grow, uh, they don't grow grapes. They grow apples and pears. Mm-hmm. It's Calvados. Mm-hmm. So we make Calivados. Thanks to good old Tin City Cider, though. That's <laughs> yeah, my, good, good neighbors to have, yeah, right? right? So, right, yeah, right. When, you, when you need to make apple brandy, I okay. know they got to call. Coming up next, Wine Shine is up and running, but the road to success will be filled with ups and downs. We'll hear more after this. Making something from nothing isn't always easy. That means looking down a road that others tell you not to take and taking it anyway. It's knowing where you come from and knowing where you're going without ever being sure you'll actually get there. It takes fierce loyalty, perseverance, courage, and an unwavering commitment to doing things right. Tin City Cider's made of these things, built on the dogged work ethic and the humble nature of their three owners, who spend their best days turning apples into art. Tin City Cider's crafted with an appreciation for Mother Nature's hard labor, with the sunlight of the trees, the roots seeking minerals. So the next time you're looking for a hard cider that emboldens the spirit of every craftsman that's ever made anything good, crack open a Tin City Cider. See them online at TinCityCider.com or visit their tap room at Tin City in Paso Robles. Tin City Cider Company, the ultimate cider experience. Welcome back to Tin City Limits and our chat with Wine Shine's Patrick Brooks. Starting and running a distillery is one of those every day is a different day kind of thing. Who was it that said, there are no knowns, there are things we know that we know, 
There are no unknowns. That is to say, there are things that we now know we don't know, but there are also unknown unknowns. There are things we do not know we don't know, or something like that. For Patrick and his partners, it's just part of the journey. So what's the best part of it for you, personally? Well, for me, the best part of it is, is the people you'll meet. It's amazing. It, this, in this little tin city, we get people from all sorts of walks of life, right? Not just from this area, but from, uh, you know, from Europe. And they're interested in, in brandy. They're saying, like, they're, they're coming because they want to try brandy produced in California. Mm-hmm. And it's, it might be totally unlike what they've had, you know, in their little town in France. Well, and do they come into it with a good attitude, though, or a bad attitude? A very positive like, attitude. Like, I, I, I don't believe that you can do it. Let me let me taste what you have done. I've seen some of that. You know the uh, uh, you know I, I've seen some of the guys. They uh, they've been interested in like um, my little dog and I live on the sixty acre walnut orchard that my grandfather planted right after World War Two. Oh wow! And uh, uh, and so we make walnut brandy today. The uh, Italians call it nocino. Mm-hmm. The French call it lucerne. Mm-hmm. I call it walnut. Brandy, because we live in America, right? So, so I'd say of, of all the products, that one specifically, all of all of uh, Italians come in here, and they're like, "Okay, I know about Nocino. Right. You trying to tell me about Nocino? I mean, when you say Italians, Italians from Italy, for sure, right? So, <laughs> show me. Yeah. So, or uh, or you know, I mean, there's lots of Italians here and there and everywhere, sure. right? So, but yeah, I'll. Sh- you show me what you think Nocino is, and they're blown <laughs> away because it's delicious. Because at the end of the day. I'm not. I'm just not screwing it up, right? I'm letting the walnuts speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're letting the, the grapes from the vineyards we get it from speak for themselves. Right. And so we just don't screw it up. By the time it leaves the vineyard and the time it goes through the still, goes through into barrel aging and into your glass. Same thing with the walnuts. Same thing with the mangoes we get. I mean, whatever it is, we just try not to screw it up. Best day in your memory for wine shine. Best day. Oh, there's been quite a few, <laughs> but I'd say, you know, uh, the best day, it might be the one I just mentioned where we have, we have, we've spent years putting our, our labors into these products and they just sit on a shelf for a while. And then after you pop that, that bung out of the barrel and you go, holy smokes, we made that, you know, and then like right afterwards, I made a Vucare. You ever had a Vucare before? No. It's if you like old fashions, people would love it. It's Benedictine is usually used. Oh, Benedictine. And yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. There's three Benedictine monks in the world that know how to make Benedictine, right? And so that day, at the the end of it, was my best experience because I used the orange brandy that we've made from start to finish, our oak brandy made from start to finish, and also an herbaceous uh, uh, product that we made as a as a a Benedictine ripoff, mm-hmm. if, if you will, right? Uh, just as an experiment. And I put these products together and I made my own Vucare, my favorite drink in the entire world. And if, if you find a bar that can make one, it's tough to find one that can make it right. And it's such a complicated cocktail. Everything that goes into it, we're talking years and years and years of, of hard work goes into this drink. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that's really cool because I made every ingredient. It wasn't just buying, the, taking these products off the shelf. 
it was we made a hundred percent of this from the ground up. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool, and it it it, it really just took years to get there. Flip side, most disappointing day so far. Ooh, most disappointing day. Uh, <laughs> I'd say when the tax man comes around. <laughs> That's, that one hurts. <laughs> hey, I've got an idea. Why don't you get some stock automobiles, soup them up, and you could drive away from those guys. When yeah, they come you see know, you. That, that's, I think that, that's where we're going to next. <laughs> Bootlegging, baby. So <laughs> hey, we're out of here. Rev the engines. Yeah. No, was there, I mean, a day that, I don't know, just, it just you thought, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if, if I, don't, I don't know if, if we're going to make it through this. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that uh, all of us have pretty positive attitudes, yeah. no matter what. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty glass half full. Because I, I say that. I say that because I, I don't know an entrepreneur on the face of the earth that has have one of those days. Oh no, for sure. Where you're, you're you're getting out of bed and you're going, I man, today I I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, I would say really w- w- where I was going to go with that is my my worst day ever was was uh, it happened over six months. So it's it was extremely day. devastating. Yeah, long day, and and that was uh, uh, putting together our new wonderful still. You know, it was it was. Oh, you guys put that together yourself? Oh yeah. So and we and I know that still more intimately than any woman I've ever known in my life, <laughs> or like, like that. I mean, we we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we we've been through a lot together. You know, and uh, uh, I'd say like it, it was it was just so depressing and devastating again and again. So it took you six months to build that? Yeah, and and this... This part was incorrect, and we had to wait for this from this from Boise, Idaho, oh, and this yeah, and yeah. this. And there, there were there were a few, just so many little factors. And it's not the still you see right there; it's everything else that plays into it. All this the steam generator out there, and the the chilling unit, and and all the plumbing that goes. A lot of moving the two. parts. A lot, a of, lot moving. of moving parts. So much more than you see. And it was just it. We weren't producing anything. So for how a do long you time. how do you keep going? What do you well, what do you say to yourself? Is there another option? You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. We well, I mean, you do don't this. have to do it, but you feel. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be um, over dramatic about it, but do you feel like you feel called to do it? You know, I would, sense, I would. I would say it's just. Like I said, if, if, if I felt called, I would say that it. I, it that I was. Uh, uh, that, I'd say it goes back to being obsessed with it more yeah. than anything. Yeah, it's really just I can't even imagine. Us not doing this. What product are you most proud of? And I say you, I mean your whole team. I, you know, I think that all of us may have, we have so many, we have 15, 14, 15, 16 products now. Can you name so, them? Uh, yeah, you want me to? I do. Okay. So we do the, the neutral brandy, uh, right out of the still, just come back with some spring water. We do a hibiscus lemon brandy. We do uh, the mango ginger black peppercorn infused brandy. We make uh, uh, a French oak and orange peel brandy. We make uh, the barrel-aged whiskey Manhattan. It's called Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about a bomb. It's just kind of the bomb, right? Uh, we make that the barrel-aged brandy Manhattan on top of it. Uh, we make uh, French oak and cinnamon brandy. We make the uh, brandy distilled from apples for two years in brand-new charred American oak bourbon casks. We make uh, our, our straight Grenache and straw and Morved blend brandy. Aged for uh, three years in new charred American oak bourbon casks. We have rye whiskey that's out there that's coming out really soon. 
So, and that's aged for three years in new charred American oak bourbon casks, and, and all that new oak aging is unbelievable in it. Uh, we have a, a terracotta pot apricot amaretto over here. That sounds girly. It's, if you drank some, you wouldn't think it was girly. It's just sexy. It's just sexy. <laughs> we have a, uh, the, a ghost pepper brandy. Ghost pepper brandy. Oh, yeah. It's Dude. Your, your Bloody Marys, Dude. your margaritas. It's, it's hot. So, uh, but it's, it's flavorful hot. It's good hot. Okay. So, yeah, ghost pepper brandy. We do uh, that, that. I mentioned the Nocino, which I think we all might have a product that's the most important to us individually, but definitely that walnut brandy that's produced from my grandfather's walnuts, those 60-year-old trees. That's the most important one for me myself because of all the family heritage that goes into that most important thing you've learned doing all this well and that could be doesn't have to be a business it could be anything the most important thing i've learned uh is nothing happens unless you do it it sounds so so simple so easy right but but you have to follow through you got to get the barn painted and nothing's going to happen unless you actually get in there and do it at the end of the day if you build it, they won't come. You gotta do it. <laughs> Kevin Costner was wrong. <laughs> and how proud of you are you? Uh, I think that I got. I have myself, as I think a lot of people do. We got a long way to go, yeah. right? And so that's why I always tell the students, you know, history is the most important subject in school because if we can learn from our history, we can have a better idea of how we should, you know focus our attention and efforts in the future. Right. So it's uh, no, like anybody else, I'm not done learning. I'm not done growing. All right, man. Good luck, brother. Cheers. Thank you, buddy. For more information about Wineshine, go to wineshine.com. For more information about all the producers in the Tin City neighborhood, go to tincitypasso.com. Tin City Limits is recorded live at Tin City in Paso Robles and is sponsored by Tin City Cider Company. Executive produced by Andrew Jones and Mark Wilson for Crush Media. Technical assistance provided by Brad Johnson. You'll find this and other Tin City Limits shows online at crush925.com. Until next time, for Andrew Jones, I'm Mark Wilson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.